It's one of those phrases that we use a lot uh, in churches over the years. And we had those little sayings that we use, like, God is good. And then everybody says, all the time. And then the preacher says, all the time. God is good. And that's fine because it's true. But sometimes things can get a little trite, can't they? Like, you know, just saying some words. And here's the thing. I don't think that God is good is just a phrase that Christians use because they're supposed to. I actually think it's true. Like, he is really good. And the problem that we have sometimes is that the goodness of God doesn't always express itself in the way we think it should be expressed. Right? You ever have your car break down and get a flat tire and you go... Really, God? Really? <laughs> you know, like, you know, what am I doing here? You know, we've got several people out with the flu and the cold and stuff today. Uh, Kathy coughs on cue. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. But, uh, you know, you get sick and, you, and it doesn't go away. And you're like, oh, what, where's God? And why isn't it? You know, I just want to express something today. And we're going to talk about this a little bit. God is good regardless of the circumstances. And actually... In the difficult circumstances is when we really have to decide, is he good or is he not good? And we're going to walk a journey today, and we're going to finish up actually the journey that we've been on for three weeks now. I meant to get this sermon series done last week, uh, and we've been talking about the lost things in Luke chapter 15. So we talked the first week about the lost lamb, where the shepherd had 99, or he had 100, and he leaves the 99 and he goes after the one lost, right? Then the next week we talked about the lost coin. A woman had ten uh, really expensive coins. She loses one of them in her house. She goes crazy till she finds it. She finds it, right? And then last week we started in on the lost sons. We only got to one of the two sons. But the idea is that the lost son was then found. And in each one of, the, of these scenarios, Jesus tells a story, and it ends with great rejoicing, great celebration. And, of course, the idea is that lost things being found especially people, is inherently important to God. Amen? So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 15. And uh, we find a story, and if you've been with us the last few weeks, you, you, you know what, uh, the scenario and the scene of what we're talking about. If you haven't been with us and you want to check out the podcast, um, really God has did some good things with us in the last few weeks. So go ahead and you can either find those on iTunes or our church website and, uh, or on Facebook Live as well through the church. But we find this, this, <laughs> this scene where Jesus is coming to teach, and there are three different kinds of people, really, in the crowd. Always he has the disciples with him, okay? Always the disciples. So he has his crew with him. But there's also these other two crowds, and on, on, uh, on one side, well, let, let's just read chapter 15, verse 1. Many dishonest tax collectors and other notorious sinners... Can we say that again this morning? Notorious sinners. Now turn to the person next to you and say, no, I'm just kidding, don't do that. <laughs> Notorious sinners often gathered to listen as Jesus taught the people. This raised concerns with the Jewish religious leaders and experts of the law. Indignant, they grumbled and complained, saying, look at how this man associates with all these notorious sinners and welcomes them all to come to him. Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning, and we thank you so much for what you are about to do in this place. Father, we just say yes to all of the revelation, all of the power, 
and all of the shredding of lies that are inherent in a group of people that come together longing to know the love of God, longing to know the truth of the Father. So, Lord, I pray this morning that you would replace lies with truth and indifference with passion today. I pray that in Jesus' name. If that's your prayer, lift both hands and say amen. Amen. That's what I want. So we got two groups of people. We've talked about this a little bit, so I'll be brief. On one side, okay, for the last three weeks, the notorious sinners have been on this side. So we're going to switch it up. The notorious sinners are now on this side, okay? So on one side, you have this group of people that are what many people refer to as the marginalized of society, okay? These are the, 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 the lowbrow. These are the people, what is that old Garth Brooks song? I've got friends in low places, right? You remember that one? So this is, the, this is the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the thieves, all of the, the people that in that society weren't allowed to be near religious training. They weren't allowed in the synagogues. They weren't allowed in the temple. They weren't allowed anywhere. And, as is the case with much religious people, on the other side you have the religious uh, teachers and the rulers and the Pharisees on this side. And they look down with great contempt on, on y'all <laughs> on that side. And at one point it even says they were indignant. They were mad because Jesus, who liked to flip things around, was not only allowing this group to hang around, he actually was teaching them. He was actually allowing the pearls of wisdom and truth to fall from his lips to actually be in their ears and allow them to, to garner that and bring it to themselves. That in and of itself was radical and revolutionary. And the religious on this side, see, they thought they had all knowledge and they thought they were the, 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 the purveyors and the keeper of all the knowledge and the spiritual truth. And unless that group got their stuff together and worked really hard to come to meet them at their level, then they weren't even allowed around. We've talked before about sometimes in churches, like I've been in churches where if you didn't wear a suit and a tie, like they would almost give you one. You know what I mean? Like one of that kind of thing. And you had to look a certain way to kind of be accepted. And, and uh, I'm glad that in our society today there's not a lot of those churches left anymore. Because some of you know it's not about what's on the outside, it's what's on the inside, right? So Jesus, obviously working from the heart, he, uh, he wanted things to be different. And so in verse 3, he says, in response, Jesus gave them this illustration. Now, who is them in this scenario? Who do you think? Nope. The religious teachers. Because they were the ones that were mad. They were the ones that were put off. Sorry, where are my sinners again? Sinners are on this side. Okay. You guys were like, yeah, bring it. You know, I want to hear this. This is truth to me. Right? You guys are like, rock on. We're the notorious over here. If you guys were a band, it would be notorious. That would be your band name. Okay. And over here, <laughs> your band name would be Uptight. That would be, your, that would be your band name. Okay. You know, Jesus was considered a rabbi even by the Pharisees, because he spoke such truth and with such power. And so here's a rabbi that's actually hanging out with and, and, and encompassing the notorious ones. Man, I'm telling you, this, that he was flipping this whole thing upside down. And so he, he tells these three parables, these three stories, and a parable is simply a story 
with a hook, right? It's not just a story. It's a story with a hook. There's a reason that he's telling this story, and it has a great truth. Are we popping here? Is that good? Can you hear me? Is it better? Okay. So he tells these three parables, and it says, gave them, the religious. He was speaking to them. He wanted them to understand something. (laughs) As we're going to see here, they didn't really want to hear what he had to say. This group did want to hear what he had to say. Because we find in the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost sons, that the lost things had great value. That is so vital, not only for us as individuals, but church, that we would grasp that the people around us that seem to be the hardest have great value. (laughs) I was talking with someone the other day. There was a person that had been mean and was talking some bad things to other people. And, and this person said, well, I don't, I don't want to go over there. And I said, well, <laughs> that doesn't sound like Jesus at all. You know, like, like I'm not trying to be judgmental, but I'm saying, you know what? If anybody, we see by Jesus' example that the people that were the most messed up were the ones he cared about the most, right? Hmm. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost sons. Let's go ahead and read the, what we went over last week as a way to springboard into what I think God has for us today. So uh, by way of review, let's start with verse 11. And again, we're reading in the Passion Translation. And uh, if you don't have that version, I would just encourage you to make it a part of your study. It's actually on BibleGateway.com right now as well, so it's easy to even do online. Okay, Verse 11, Then Jesus said, Once there was a father with two sons. The younger son came to his father and said, Father, don't you think it's time to give me the share of your estate that belongs to me? Again, last week we looked at this and how incredibly disgusting and horrible that phrase was. Because in that culture, to ask for your inheritance before the the father died was basically saying, I wish you were dead, old man. Give me my money. And it was a horrible, horrible thing to to do. Okay? So the father, though, went ahead and distributed among the two sons their inheritance. Can you say that word with me this morning? Inheritance. Inheritance. Verse 13. Shortly afterward, the young son packed up all his belongings and traveled off to see the world. He journeyed to a far-off land where he soon wasted all he was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living. With everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry, for there was a severe famine in that land. So he begged a farmer in that country to hire him. The farmer hired him and sent him out to feed the pigs. The son was so famished, he was willing to even eat the slop given to the pigs, because no one would feed him a thing. Verse 17, humiliated, the son finally realized what he was doing, and he thought, hmm, there are many workers at my father's house who have all the food they want with plenty to spare. They lack nothing. Why am I here dying of hunger, feeding these pigs, and eating their slop? This week, uh, (laughs) I ran across a video on Facebook. Maybe some of you saw this one. And uh, it's a mother and a daughter. They're having a, a dialogue. And the mother says, no, the daughter says, she grabs an onion, and the daughter says, I, I want to eat this apple. And the mom says, that's not an apple, honey. I'm not, that's an onion. 
And the little daughter says, no, it's an onion. See? And the mom says, okay, go ahead and eat your apple. Go ahead, check it out. <laughs> it's an onion, just a little clear. <laughs> Of course, leave it to the preacher to spiritualize this thing, right? But didn't that look an awful lot like somebody who was eating stuff that shouldn't be eaten? Like, I totally thought of the, of the, of the prodigal son when I saw that. Like, like, that God wants us to eat apples, not onions, right? And, and yet, how many people just keep chewing on the onion, you know? And God is saying, look, I got, you know. And the prodigal son, when he's in the pig slop, he finally realizes, I am eating onions, and even my dad's servants eat better than this. I'm going to go get me some apples, right? So that's what, that's what I saw there. By the way, didn't you just love the tears? <laughs> Could you imagine how smelly that thing was? That was hilarious. Okay, go ahead. So the son has this moment where he says, all right, I'm going to stop eating pig slop. I'm going to stop eating onions. I'm going to go home to my father's house. And so verse 18, he says to himself, I want to go back home to my father's house, and I'll say to him, Father, I was wrong, and I have sinned against you. I'll never be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, just treat me like one of your employees. As we're going to find out, I don't think the son really gets dad. He doesn't get him. Verse 20. So the young son set off for home from a long distance away. His father saw him coming, dressed as a beggar, smelling like onions. And great compassion swelled up in his father's heart for his son, who was returning home. So the father raced out to meet him, swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly, and kissed him over and over with tender love. Again, last week we talked a little bit how this picture of the son smelling like a pig. He'd been hanging out with pigs and eating their food. What did he smell like? <laughs> he had onion breath. He needed a tic-tac. Right? He smelled horrible, and he was disgusting. And yet the father just, like, just hugs him and holds him and, and was kissing him all over. You know? We have a story in the Abbott house where one of our, one of our kids, and maybe you've had this experience, your kid gets sick and you're holding them and then they throw up on you. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of nodding going on. Have you ever had your mouth open when that happened? Okay, moving on. So... <laughs> And yet, it's almost like more love wells up in you for your kid 
because of the horrible situation they're in. And you can see this father just kissing almost to an awkward place of the son. And yet the son, even with the display of the love of the father, doesn't get dad. Because even with all that outglowing of love, he still says his little speech he has prepared. And he says, Father, verse 21, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be, shh. Turn to the person next to you and just go, shh. How many of you, how many of you know that God, watch the coffee. <laughs> how many of you know that God doesn't want to hear your prepared little religious speech? He doesn't want to hear your little speech about how you're not worthy and ah, la, 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 la. Shh. <laughs> Shh. <laughs> Shh. Father interrupts him and said, son, you're home now. You're home now. Turning to his servant, the father said, quick, draw a bath, get him in there, brush his teeth, clean him up, and put some smelly good stuff on him and a whole lot of deodorant, and then let's get him dressed up nice. Does it say that? Isn't that interesting? He says, servants, go, quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe, and I will place it on his shoulders. Bring the ring, the seal of sonship, and I will put it on his smelly pig fingers. And bring out the best shoes you can find for my son, which are? Air Jordans, that's right. And then he says, let's prepare a great feast and celebrate. Nowhere in that does it say, get this kid cleaned up before he can be a part of what we're doing. He's just like, come on, let's do this thing. Let's have a party. Let's put the ring on him. And we're going to, you know, <laughs> have the best clothes and the best shoes. Verse 24, for this beloved son of mine was once dead, but now he's alive again. Once he was lost, but now he's found. And everyone celebrated with overwhelming joy. Huge party again. You guys remember that, uh, I think it was a radio commentator who used to say, and now the rest of the story. Who was that guy? Paul Harvey, right? And now the rest of the story. <laughs> Last week, part one. This week, part two. It's a tale of two sons. A tale of two sons. How many of you know that the father probably loves both sons exactly the same? And I say probably because... We're just finding out about the second son. But as we're going to see, his love doesn't change. Turn to the person next to you. Just look at him. Okay? Don't be weird or awkward or nothing. Just for a second, you know. And, and, and understand this. That person on your right and your left is loved by the Father exactly the same as you and irregardless of anything they've ever done. Yeah, if you want to high-five him, that's good too, because, man, that's good. Verse 25, the second son. Now the older son was out working in the field while his brother returned. And as he approached the house, he heard the music of celebration and dancing. So he called over one of the servants and asked, what's going on? The servant replied, it's your younger brother. He's returned home, and your father is throwing a party to celebrate his homecoming. The older son became angry and refused to go in and celebrate. So his father came out and pleaded with him, come and enjoy the feast with us, exclamation point. 
Let me just pause there for a second. This morning, I want to, we're going to look at two things. I think there are two spirits that we're going to find in the rest of this story that are, we find in the, in the older son. Now, mind you, Jesus is telling a parable. And a parable is a story with what? A hook. This particular story has two hooks. The one hook, where are my notorious sinners? The one hook is for you guys. It's the marginalized. You guys are the prodigal son. You guys are the one that think you've gone too far. You've been living with pigs. You're not worthy. You don't deserve anything. And the father says, hook, come on. (laughs) I love each and every one of you. I don't care if you're a prostitute. I don't care if you're a tax collector. I don't care what you've done. Here's the hook. The father loves you. Not just a little. He loves you smelly. (laughs) He loves you with onion breath. He loves, he's going to throw his robe on you, and he gives you a ring that says, hey, you're his son. Right? That's the first hook. But the second hook is for the religious people that were there that day. And this hook, he's making a point. Because how many of you think that the religious people on this side would have not put a robe on this kid? How many of you think the religious people would not have given him a ring or a good set of Air Jordans, right? They would not have done all these cool things for him. In fact, this indignant thing that they had going on from the beginning now carries over to the story because they're mad at the father. They totally agree with the son. I'm not going to that party. What right does he have to? So we find two spirits going on in this story within the religious community. Number one is this, the religious spirit. The two we're going to look at are religious spirit and an orphan spirit. The religious spirit is a spirit that permeates in the religious world, in churches and organizations, and has a lot to do with rules, regulations, control, controlling other people, and it works from the outside in. Right? If you were raised in a church, chances are good you've rubbed up against a religious spirit. If you've been raised in a church, chances are good you have a tendency towards a religious spirit. Just throw that out there, right? Because it's easy to fall into. Wearing the right clothes, and that person's sitting in my pew. (laughs) Oh, my chair. Has anybody ever sat in your chair before? What's up with that? Get out of my chair. (laughs) Right? How many of you go to get donuts and somebody's taking your favorite one right before you? What is the deal? That Boston cream was for me. <laughs> you know, like, right? If you're raised in church or around church, this religious spirit can creep in, man. And with this, works is a big deal. With a religious spirit, works. Doing the right thing, performance is a big deal. But then there's also the orphan spirit. And the orphan spirit is a spirit that that also wells up a lot in churches, and it has to do with with that the people don't understand God the Father. They understand it up here. They just don't have it in here. What's that old phrase we use? The hardest journey anybody takes is 18 inches from here to here. See, I can sing the song, He's a Good, Good Father, but I can still act and feel like an orphan. Right? I can spew out all the right verses, God and his goodness and God is great and all that. But in my heart, I never fully feel accepted. Right? And again, we mentioned earlier, you're special, but in a bad way. 
<laughs> right? That God somehow loves everybody else more than he loves me. And you see how vile this gets? Because if I don't believe that God loves me or wants to use me in the same way that he wants to use, you know, another person, then I will never step out in faith to pray for the sick or to lead someone to Christ or share any of those things because somehow I'm not good enough. Somehow I don't have enough. You know, there's always, I got to do something else. I got I to tithe more. I got to give more. I got to teach something. I got to do something. I got Morphin Spirit also says works is a big deal. And we see both reflected in the group on this side, the religious leaders in that day. So we'll start with the religious spirit, right? The Pharisees. The Pharisees would have agreed with the oldest son to be angry and not go into the party, right? Why should we celebrate? What, is, what, has, what has he done anything to deserve this party? He's the last one to deserve a party. This is ridiculous, right? Jesus telling this story, and they're over there going, yeah, yeah, don't go into that party. That kid, you know, wasted all the money. I can't believe those notorious sinners on that side over there, right? Can I just say this? <laughs> when you find yourself agreeing with a religious spirit, you better have some red flags going up, right? If somebody says something and you start to agree with them and it doesn't sound like Jesus, it's possible that's a religious spirit. <laughs> I, uh, I've been in this business of the ministry for quite some time, and over the years I'll have different people that will come up to me after a service and they'll say, oh, that was good, preacher. That was a great sermon. And I go, thanks. And I walk away and go, I totally missed it. Something in my sermon was wrong if they think it's a good one. <laughs> I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying I know their spirit. And if they think it's a good sermon, I missed it. It didn't drip with grace. It didn't drip with love and acceptance. It didn't sound enough like Jesus. It sounded too much like a religious spirit. It sounded too much like rules and regulations and laws and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you could tell me it's a good sermon. I don't care. That's fine. But you understand what I'm saying? Like, we have to be careful who we agree with. Because agreement is a big thing in the kingdom. What, what kind of spirit am I agreeing with? What kind of words are, am, I, am I agreeing with? Right? It's really important. And <laughs> the religious spirit is grumpy. Have you ever noticed this? How many know grumpy Christians? Anybody know grumpy Christians? That's, that's an oxymoron, isn't it? Yeah. Grumpy Christians don't like parties. They don't like spending money. They think those things are frivolous. And I'm just here to say, I think we should have more parties. I think we should have more fun. We should have more rejoicing. We should have more people getting saved and celebrating and the lost being found. I mean, like, that is the thing, right? <laughs> so going on, verse 29. The son then goes on in this religious and orphan spirit, and he, he starts to get mean. Look at this. He says, Father, listen. I'm not sure that's the way a son should be talking to their father. Right? And then he goes on and says this. How many years have I been working like a slave for you, performing every duty you've asked as a faithful son, and I've, now count them with me now, ready? Count the words never in this sentence, in this paragraph. And I've never once disobeyed you. 
but you've never thrown a party for me because of my faithfulness. Never once have you even given me a goat that I could feast on and celebrate with my friends like he's doing now. But look at this son of yours. He comes back after wasting your wealth on prostitutes and reckless living, and here you are throwing him a great feast to celebrate for him. There's a word that we like around here called grace. But there's also a word that's the opposite of, and it's called graceless. Graceless. That sounds kind of graceless, that last paragraph, doesn't it? Like, there's no even attempt at understanding what the other son had been through. There's no attempt at understanding the father and what, what he was doing. So much so that he's using the word never, never, never. Cautionary thing. If you're talking to someone and they use the words never and always, you should back up. Physically. <laughs> just back up. Because those are religious and orphan words. Always and never. Because <laughs> almost always is the word never appropriate. <laughs> are you tracking me? You know, when is it always something? It's not always anything, and it's never is also a horrible word. <laughs> uh, marriage counseling 101, don't use always and never with each other. Those are horrible words, right? Right? So we find him, though, he's rude, he's disrespectful. He says, listen to his father, right? The religious spirit was permeating in this, in this kid, in this son. And the religious spirit also moves into an orphan spirit, right? And we find what? Jealousy rears its ugly head in this scenario. Jealousy. Why didn't you do this for me? Why have you never done this and, and all the work and performing and, and, and labor that I've done? Where's my stuff? Where's my thing? You know, I was thinking this week, this is really weird, that it's almost as if there's, they're describing two totally different fathers. Do you see this? Like the father that we see with the prodigal is kissing and hugging and waiting and loving and gives away half of his whole, all his money to the kid? How many think that's generous? So he's generous, he's loving, he's kissy, he's huggy, he's all these things. And that's the description of one son for the father. And then the other son, it doesn't even sound like the same guy, does it? You're stingy, you've never even given me a goat, <laughs> right? And all my friends, and I've been slaving doesn't it sound more like a master than a father? It sounds more like a master than a father. <laughs> the father in verse 31 says, My son, you are always with me by my side. Everything I have is yours to enjoy. Can we just say that word everything? Everything. It's like the father, the, fir the first scenario description of the father, he's trying to drag that over into the other son and say, listen, I'm still the same guy, <laughs> the same one that gave away all the inheritance to your knucklehead brother, you know, and he did all that stupid stuff. Guess what? I still love him, and I'm trying to drag that over into your relationship too. I think the father is trying to say to the other son, I'm the same guy. I'm not a dichotomy. I'm not some, you know, schizophrenic father here. I'm one thing to one and one thing to another. 
But the story almost plays out that way, doesn't it? Hmm. Two different fathers? I don't, I don't think so. With the one, the father appears to be generous and loving. With the other, he's portrayed as stingy and like a master. So God laid a thought on me this week, and it was this. Are you ready? You might want to write it down. <laughs> it's a kingdom thought, and it says this. We get to choose the father we experience. We get to choose. I think this story is presenting us with a choice. What kind of father are you going to embrace? What kind of reality are you going to live in? Because I'm pretty sure the first description of the father is the one who he really is. You don't kiss and hug smelly pig boys that have taken all your money, and you don't give them big parties and give them your best ring and your best robe and your best shoes unless there's a real love there. So what kind of father do we want to experience? I think we choose it. The younger son is what? He comes back humble and contrite. You remember that? I'll just kind of crawl back to the father like he is totally broken. And his eyes are open. The elder, on the other hand, is angry. He's bitter. He's accusatory. And he's blinded to the goodness of God. My brother Scott, and some of you know him, he's a singer and he's written songs and some albums and different things. I remember one of his songs, he, he has this phrase and it says this. It says, how can I lift a clay fist to God and curse the potter's hand? Because <laughs> the Bible talks about the potter and he forms us, right? And he says, how can I lift my clay fist to God and curse the potter's hand? And what he's saying is, I'm just a created thing. I have no right as his creation to lift my hand and curse him. Like it just doesn't work that way. And yet we find the eldest son, what's he doing? He's, he's lifting his hand to the father and he says, Father, listen, and I've done all this and I've worked in the religious spirit and all that orphan stuff. And he doesn't see the goodness of the father. He doesn't see that God is good. Hmm. So the kingdom thought we get to choose the father we experience. And I would just say that's true for us today. Do you want a good God? Then go after that. Do you want to be angry at God and think that you're getting ripped off or he's stingy and somehow he loves other people more than you? You can stay, but that's called a religious spirit and it's called an orphan spirit. And I will tell you this, you will be grumpy <laughs> and you will be dissatisfied your whole life. Because the good God you guys, yeah, this was the, no, wait, you're the, I got you backward. I'm going over here. Because you guys understand <laughs> that God is good and he's grace and he's mercy, right? So there's a second one, though. There's another kingdom uh, principle, and it says this. The position we take is the relationship we make, right? The position I take in regards to God actually defines our relationship. So, if every day of my life I get up and I declare, God is good all the time. Some of you here last Sunday, you remember Shannon had a testimony. And in her testimony, she has a car that 
She put the key in on a Friday, right? And the key wouldn't turn. And myself and herself and Andrew went over a couple times and all these different people and, and Oscar came over and all these people tried to get the key to work. And it went on for quite a while. So Friday the key wouldn't work. Do you think she prayed? Yep. All day Saturday, people coming over. We're praying. I'm praying over it. We're shooting WD-40 into it. That's the uh, Holy Spirit oil. I don't know if you guys knew that. Um, we're shooting oil into it. We're twigging all thing. I'm, we're on YouTube. We're trying to figure out how does this thing work, blah, blah, blah. Nobody could figure it out. It wouldn't work. How many of you think that at that point, Shannon could have said, see, God doesn't love me. I prayed and he didn't fix my car. <laughs> but you know what she did? She kept believing that he's good. So Sunday morning, she gets up early. She's doing some worship thing. And was it 5 o'clock, right? 5 o'clock? Was it? 5.30 in the morning. She's worshiping God. In the midst of her difficult, I don't have a car, and how am I going to get to church to lead worship thing, <laughs> she's worshiping God as she's just saying, I choose that he's a good God. Regardless of my circumstances, he's a good God. Now, I'm not saying she didn't have some fear and trepidation, but ultimately she's worshiping. And out of that worship, God says, go and try the key one more time. So she goes out at 5.30 in the morning. Remember last Sunday, all the snow and all, 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 all. She gets in there, and she is declaring goodness over, what was the phrase again? Help me out. He's, he's about to overwhelm the things that overwhelm you. It's from a song at Bethel, the open worship thing. And so she's screaming at it to the car, to the situation. But what is she really saying? God is good. I trust my Father. He's going to take care of me. Boom. Thing starts up. Key turns. It's been turning ever since, right? Yeah, it's the Holy Spirit mojo on it with the WD-40. Yep. <laughs> but you know what? That is exactly the situation that we see today. Because the, the position we take is the relationship we make. If I want a good father, I have to choose that. I mean, he's good, don't get me wrong, but what is my relationship with him, amen? Declarations, faith before experience, declarations of sons and daughters, and that he's a good, good father. So then it goes on, verse 32, it says, the father says, it's only right to celebrate like this and be overjoyed. <laughs> don't you love overjoyed? It's not just joy, it's overjoy, right? Like it's, just bubbling over. Because this brother of yours was once dead and gone, but now he is alive and back with us again. He was lost, but now he is found. All three stories end with a party. The Bible actually says earlier that the angels in heaven actually rejoice and are having a party. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost sons. God is trying to tell us something. He's a good father. He doesn't want anybody to be lost. And it doesn't matter what you've done, you're still accepted. That's a pretty good story, right? Huh. So as we close this morning, I want to just give you a few things. You might want to jot these down. Five real quick things as we close. The orphan spirit and the religious spirit will make us miss out on a lot of things. Number one, 
You will miss out on truly knowing the Father and all his goodness. If you choose to stay in a religious spirit, you will lose. <laughs> you will lose out on your relationship with the Father. You will never fully understand how much he loves you and how good he is. In fact, this is a transition a Sunday for us into our core values. Next week, we're going to fully embrace God is good. We're going to look at some uh, amazing things in regards to that core value. Okay? Number two, orphan and religious spirit will make us miss out. It robs us of our true position as sons and daughters. You know, how many of you like confidence? Like that feeling of confidence, you know? When you're confident, what happens? Your shoulders go back, chest comes out, chin comes up, and you start, you know, having that walk. You know the walk. Ed knows the walk. Ed has the walk. I like the walk, you know? That's a strut, right? I'm not meandering or moseying. No, I'm strutting, right? Like, like if, I'm, if, I got, if I look good, if I feel good, if I'm walking in confidence, you know, it changes everything. When we learn how to walk in confidence as sons and daughters, it changes us. And it actually feeds into my choice to make him my father. It's like a, like a self-perpetuating thing, like a snowball going down a hill that just keeps getting bigger and bigger. I'm a son and daughter. He's my father. I'm a son and daughter. He's my father. And pretty soon we're walking in this huge, you know, awareness and confidence of who we are, right? But a religious spirit where I lift my clay fist to God and curse him, all of a sudden I'm lacking confidence. I'm lacking safety. And it's robbing me of my true position. Number three, religious spirit and an orphan spirit is a substitute. It substitutes religion for relationship. I want you to read your Bibles. I do. How many of you think reading your Bible is a good thing? But do you know that reading your Bible in and of itself is stupid? I'm just going to say it. How many of you know that when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days after his fasting, the devil quoted scripture to him? I can almost guarantee you the devil knows the Bible better than you do. But it's not doing him any good, is it? In fact, especially that revelation part where he's thrown in the pit and that whole thing. Like, oh, did he miss that part? I'm not sure what's going on here. But, but you see, reading your Bible just for the sake of reading your Bible and checking it off your to-do list is stupid. The whole point of prayer and reading your Bible is to develop your relationship with your Father. It's for you to go, hey, not, this isn't religion. This is relationship. This is about connection. And out of connection, again, comes confidence. That's, that's just good, right? And, it, and if you trade religion for relationship, you just made a sucker bet. That's a bad trade right there, right? <laughs> religion is a joy sucker. It's not fun. Number four. Orphan spirit and religious spirit, you will miss out on how to handle heaven's resources. I, as I was reading this story this week, it struck me so profoundly that the older son, let's back up. It wasn't that the father was stingy. It was that the son didn't know how to access heaven's resources. Right? Well, you don't even give me a goat. 
Really? Because he just gave away half the whole kingdom to your other son. He's generous. The older son just didn't know how to tap into it. And then what does the father go on to say? Everything I have is yours. But the son didn't know how to tap in. He didn't know how to access it. I'm telling you, it's big. The younger son, younger son squandered his inheritance. The older son never stepped into his inheritance. Right? And then number five, you miss out on all the cool parties. You know, you just miss out on that. How many of you ever led someone to Christ? Anybody ever led someone to Christ? Just, you know. <laughs> Did you smile afterwards? You know what I'm saying? How many of you have ever prayed for someone and they got healed? Did you smile afterwards? Did you get a little woo, like a little giggle going on on the inside, right? Like, those are the kind of things that heaven celebrates, right? And I just want more of those parties, man. So, two things as we close. If you want to get rid of the orphan spirit, if you want to remove the orphan spirit, it comes through revelation. Orphan spirit has to do with the father. And if you're not functioning as a son or a daughter the way you really feel like you should, then it's time for you to not settle for anything less than revelation. Don't just read your Bible. Ask Holy Spirit to reveal the Father to you. Don't just do your devotions or pray. Say, hey, Lord, I can't go on. I don't want to be the, second, the older son. I want to understand what your grace and what it means to be your son. Amen? Remove the orphan spirit through revelation. And then if you want to get rid of the religious spirit, that comes through relationship. What I mean by relationship, I mean <laughs> your life and his life are connected. Right? The Bible says, Christ in me. Quit trying, to, quit trying to put God in church on Sunday and make him a part of every decision of every minute of your life. Right? You don't have a faith, as some people say, I have a faith. No, you are faith, right? It's you. It's in you. Christ in us. If you're struggling with that religious thing, man, I'm telling you, God says, then let's get into a relationship and move away from religion. Let's develop that. So that's my challenge for us this morning. Why don't we stand? <laughs> I want you just to close your eyes with me this morning, and I, I want to pray for you. Some of you here this morning, just with your eyes closed, you might, you might be in a place where you feel like an orphan. You know, you're not really feel like you're connected with the Father. Maybe you question whether other people are loved more by God than you are. Maybe the, the battle in your head hasn't moved to your heart. The truth of God's Word in your mind has not made its way into the deep recesses of your heart and your soul. And you would just raise your hand and say, you know what, I need a revelation in this area. I need revelation. Just everybody close your eyes. If this is you and you just want, you need a revelation of the Father's love for you, I want you just to raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you just for a little bit today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, Lord, this morning I thank you for these, God. And really, in so many ways, I, I think all of us could use more revelation of who you are, Father. Lord, we tend to fall into religion if we're not careful, and we don't want that. 
Father, we need an awareness and a revelation of how much you actually love me. Lord, that you aren't satisfied with us being distant from you. You want us close to you. You want us confident. You want us loved. So Lord, I pray that today and this week there would begin to be an increase in revelation to crush the orphan spirit in each and every one with their hand raised today. Revelation, oh God. Maybe here this morning in the <coughs> and this idea of the uh, religious spirit uh, you're just a little too religious, a little too much rules and regulation and some of the things that the, the elder son struck you this morning. And you would just say, listen, I, I want to get out of this. I want to move away from religious and I want to move into relationship. And if that's you, just lift your hands. I want to pray for you too this morning. That's good. That's good. Honesty is so good. And so Lord, I thank you for these that have raised their hand and I ask, oh God, that you would again, by your Holy Spirit, Begin to move in us in ways that you never have before, in new and fresh ways, oh God. Lord, I know the religious spirit is sticky. It doesn't want to come out of us. It wants to keep us doing the same things. And you want new, fresh things for us, God. So, Lord, I pray that you would begin to crush that spirit and begin to draw us into relationship with you, to see, oh God, that, that the words that we say and the religious activities and certain even good things that we do are no substitute for relationship. Lord, I pray that you would reveal that aspect of your heart for us, O oh God, and help us to move into a deeper relationship with you, even today and throughout this week, O oh God. And I pray that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you today. Uh, I'm going to ask a couple of our prayer people to come on up to the front, if you would. If you need a, additional prayer for anything or need a healing or, a, or want a prophetic word some, or anything, uh, we want to help you with that. If not, God bless you. If you haven't picked up some cookies, there's cookies over there. And our girls would love to help serve you in that way. Amen.